You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week, my guest is Christine Sneed. Her new book is called Please Be Advised, a novel in memos. We discuss working with indie presses versus big houses, how some bookstores now charge authors for events, what you can do to make your romantic relationship work forever, and so much more. Hi, I'm Christine Sneed, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show! Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Christine Sneed. Her new book is called Please Be Advised, a novel in memos. Christine, how are you? No, can't really complain. I'm sure I could complain if you asked me to, but uh, overall, I'm I'm all right. We can complain for an hour. <laughs> you have a whole hour to complain as you like. <laughs> the platform is yours. <laughs> no, you know, it's things are all things considered pretty good. I yeah. decided Tuesday that I was going to look at an apartment and then I ended up taking it. So now I've added a move to this crazy month. So, are you are you moving cities or just uh, no within... a mile and a half away from where I am and same zip code in Pasadena? Oh, so, okay, cool. Just a quieter apartment that's not like a thousand feet from the two ten. Oh, that, <laughs> that... I now I mean I have a beautiful yeah. view of the San Gabriel's, but there's also the two ten. So, which yeah. kind of at some point it kind of grates on you because I remember being a kid and living like right by the main high the main thoroughfare. And in a concrete slab apartment growing up. And it's just like, it's just constant traffic, I think, kind of is just not good for sensory. Uh... You said it exactly. I think like whenever my partner Adam and I have gone anywhere else in California, like to Joshua Tree for a few days or Cambria, if we can get up there, it's just so much calmer because we're not right by a 10 lane freeway. Right. And the air is clearer, you know, so... We we did we've been here for four and a half years, so we've certainly put in our time, and we've it has a lot of charms. This building's new, also, so it's you know a nice place, but location is not ideal. So we're going to be more central in Pasadena. You can walk to places that you actually oh want to go to. oh walking is yeah. good, yeah. yeah. And uh, by the way, I just wanted to say I noticed that you did that you I got in the acknowledgments of your oh. book. <laughs> Tony, you're that- such a great advocate for fellow writers and you're also such a great writer so oh thank yeah. you and you're a friend. like you're a genuine friend like we see each other socially so yeah you know. i know yeah. that's big time in los angeles <laughs> How, are you, so i i don't understand why you put me after your parents <laughs> i i know they well you know they're probably going to remember me in their will so okay like a wise tactic that's a very good idea. It's no yeah. guarantee. I'd but... put you in my will, but you'd just be in debt. <laughs> <laughs> the attorney's fees. Here we right. go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, but seriously, um, the uh, how do you decide the or? I mean, I find acknowledgments like one of the worst things to write. I, I'd rather write a novel than write acknowledgments. Wait, wait <laughs> what? What? How do you decide the order of how to place people? Do you? Do you do you have a system? Not really. I mean, I do often, you know, I do list my parents. If I 
didn't dedicate the book to them. I think I've dedicated maybe two books to them. I, I well, I mean, I've had no, maybe just one. I've had four before this, and then the anthology, and now this book. So technically, this is. I six. think they so should only editor. get one. That, yeah. You you only get one per <laughs> per lifetime. So if, yeah, so I would leave it at think, one for them. Yeah, I can't remember now, but I think also like that you have to thank your editor if you work with the literary agent. Always mm -hmm. a good idea to thank the literary agent, and then yeah. your colleagues if you teach. Um, sometimes though, like with my last book, Virginity of Famous Men, the stories I did not have this long list of friends that I wanted to thank just because I thought, you know, I want to keep this pretty simple. Just thank the editors who published some of these stories. Thank my parents, thank family, I think briefly. And then maybe I mentioned the places where I teach, but it's, I admire people who don't feel any pressure to really thank people personally in their acknowledgements. And then there's people on the other side who have like five pages of acknowledgements. And I just don't, those people well, scare that, me. I, I don't yeah. like I if when they have that many acknowledgements, I question my friendship with them if I know them in person. <laughs> well, I think part of the problem is if you have really long acknowledgements, what if you forget someone and they're like, damn, five, you know, five pages and you didn't even mention me like that for me is a lot of pressure. So I yeah. I, 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 want I think I think like I think especially writers just understand it's just like writing acknowledgements or writing like, Oh, can we get a synopsis? And you're like, it's easier to write a novel than a synopsis. Are you kidding me? And so it's just like, it's, it's, there's, it's like a joy to find. And you know, like when I, when I read your acknowledgements and I'm like, Oh, uh, it was, it's like a joy, but if it's not there, it doesn't mean anything. You know, it's, it's, it's right. just, we it all understand. All. Right. It's, we, it's just, it's, it's, it's so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, it's just so hard to like write a book, edit a book, finish a book, get a publisher. It's like by the time you get there, we're just all, hey, good on you. Good on you, sister. Like it's just and anything yeah. else is just, you know, it's a lot. It's it's a lot. It is. And I and sometimes I think writers just opt not to even do acknowledgments. So or they don't even do dedications in some cases. And I I mean, I respect that decision because someone probably will if you thank some people and don't thank others they're going to wonder like well did i not merit a mention so you know i i don't want them to be my friends if any if anyone if it, and i could totally blow it i could totally like not acknowledge the right person but if they're upset about it well i guess maybe this comes from my own trauma with jesus jerk because i was just in a in a terrible relationship it was my first relationship after my divorce and i put my girlfriend in there at the time and she was like she was like oh thank you and then she called me weeping and yelling saying i don't know why i'm not first i need to be first i'm first in your life blah 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 and i did switch it and i switched it to first and then before my book came out i broke up with her because she was crazy <laughs> but I was crazy too. I was getting out of the divorce. It was there was too too much crazy. But at well, the same also, time, it's, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, no, at the same time, it's it's just uh, I, I almost think of sometimes like acknowledgments, like like um, bridegrooms or bridesmaids. It's just like you know, half of you I'm not going to be talking to in like ten years because I'm going to hate your guts. I don't know if you've had that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think with the dedication and your ex girlfriend getting mad about not being number one. It's so, as you said, it's not, 
it's not personal usually. I mean, it is obviously personal in the sense that you're picking people who are close to you and who've had an influence on you as a writer or just as a person. But you, yeah, if someone's going to be mad and throw a tantrum, it's you're right. That's a pretty good indication that maybe they're not the most healthy person to be. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so now on my next book, I just want to test my friendships and put ones who deserve to be in there and not put them in there and put people who are kind of <laughs> undeserving and then see if they get mad and if we can stay friends. <laughs> that is a really good policy. I think, yeah. <laughs> I always find that the dedications when someone's like to my friends and I'm like, that's a cop out. Yeah. Like, I want to do resentments. Can we do just resentments instead of acknowledgements? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a whole book. Like it's sounds. Yeah. I'd read it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then then you dedicate the resentments book to someone you hate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wouldn't even dignify. I, yeah. I don't even put his name in things. I don't get, I don't get why, um, yeah, I don't that boy, that was it's still an era. Why it's I don't want to, you know, it's just like people are mad about Rob. Donald Trump. And I'm like, don't give him that much energy. Just get him out of the get him out of the zeitgeist. Give him zero. Yeah. If we yeah. all gave him zero, there wouldn't be any, you know, they, these this is how narcissists feed. They feed on anything. So you're right. You're totally right. That's a conversation I have in this household frequently. Adam's like, don't don't talk about him and don't or people that you find difficult don't don't bring their names up and i'm like you know you're right but i also feel like i can't not mention things occasionally that upset me right but i mean what upsets you about donald trump he seems like a good fella (laughs) well his hair like just shave it off man I don't, you know, TV. I still, I, his hair <laughs> is such an anomaly to me because it, I mean, I don't know where it's growing from and <laughs> how he's doing it, but, but it's almost like a trademark on him where if he like did get some really good hair club for men, it would like, it would ruin it. It would ruin it. <laughs> I I think a lot of people just admire the sheer hot spot of walking around with that weird hair on his head and then like the swirls of it sometimes when just, he's just owning it. it just owning it out there owning it in my 70s <laughs> well the, that sort of vanity is just really interesting to me i mean i'm not yeah. his age so and i'm not him obviously but i i can make you know these judgments not having gone through what he's his he's gone through with his hair right but, right but at the same but time I, but what, I, what, yeah we're getting older too. You know, it's like, we, 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 we're, we're, we're the 20 year old is still inside of us. And, it, you know, it, and it certainly the, yeah, it's certainly alive inside of him too. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's a case for abortion. Wouldn't have that been nice? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. No, but someone else would have taken that. Someone else would have gotten that spot. <laughs> Well, maybe if he can give it up for adoption, maybe he would be a very, I'm sure he'd be a different person. I don't know. Yeah. It's also strange. It's like the, the collective conscious, the, the human collective. It's like, does this stuff happen because, you know, are we being punished? Is this, uh, (laughs) you know, did we all bring this upon ourselves? I, you know, these are things I ask myself. Certainly as a country, but not individually. Yeah, you know, not all of us are 
complicit, I don't think. Yeah. You know, at least. I don't We're all know. being slowly sodomized. I never watched his show for one. Like, I didn't even know anything about The Apprentice, really. Other than it was. See, and it, what's yeah. crazy about it is like, and here we are talking about him and talking about The Apprentice. And The Apprentice wasn't even on my radar either. I just knew who the guy was, you know, it's, yeah. it's just like, oh, that guy who's not on my radar. And now all he is, is on my radar. <laughs> I just like, remember him being, a, you know, one of the subjects of the Saturday Night Live skits for a while in the late 80s. And his oh, wife, yeah. uh, his wife of the time, Ivana Trump. Yeah. Huh. That, that's like what I remember, you know. And the late 80s was a bad era for uh, SNL. Because wasn't that when they had the, the Lauren Michaels was out, and that was the years with um, Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Michael Hall, and it was just like a weird bunch that didn't do quite so well. I yeah. don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. And then Lauren Michaels got hired on again after uh, I forgot who was producing it for a while. It was just like in the toilet. Oh, I do. Not remember. like SNL's good now. SNL sucks. <laughs> I, the best writing I remember was when Billy Crystal and Martin Short, of course, the early shows too, the very yeah. beginning of it. But like yeah. in the 80s, there was that period with, and I think Martin Short was only on it for a year. And Billy Crystal also and Christopher Guest. It was so good. Oh, that's and then right. Mike Myers was great. Dana Yes, Clark, those guys were good. Early yeah. 90s. They And Eddie Murphy, obviously, in the 80s. There yeah. were, and Julia Sweeney, who lives here in LA again, she was, I did... I met her actually in Chicago when she was living there for a while with her daughter and her husband. And then they moved back to LA the same time that Adam and I moved here in 2018 because her daughter had graduated from high school and went back, went to college then. So she uh -huh. had been waiting for her daughter to finish high school in, in um, the northern suburbs of Chicago. So. so were you guys on the pl same plane together going, where are you going? <laughs> no, I, she probably flew, but Adam and I drove our two cars from oh, okay. Evanston out to LA. We took our time. I think it took us five days. So that sounds fun. Late. What's a road? I've never been on a cross country road trip. What was the road trip like? And would you do it again? I would. I would. Yeah. We went through um, Iowa to Nebraska and then down through Colorado, through Utah, and then up through up to Flagstaff or down to Flagstaff and then up to California from the south. So it was because I wanted to go through Monument Valley mm -hmm. and we went out of our way to do that. It was also, we didn't drive like bats out of hell. We took breaks every hour and a half or so each oh, day. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And just, but it, by the time we got to the fourth night, it was completely exhausting. I think we slept like 12 hours <laughs> and then we drove the rest of the way into California the next day. It was, it was, you know, very effortful, but it was a lot of fun. And the, west as you know the topography is so different from the midwest yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it was beautiful i i oh. loved it and then what's it what's it like living in chicago all i think about is cold i'm just scared i'm i'm scared of chicago cold like i think i could make it in new york but i hear chicago's worse it, i mean the problem with chicago is it's not i mean the winters often are not great yeah. but the weather is so inconsistent like eight months of the year it's anyone's guess what you're going to get i mean obviously you know january is going to be colder than june but there have been months or many weeks in june that were like 55 degrees for you know like days on end in june 
So, oh, I love that. Fall, 55 to 65 is my sweet spot, but I'm from San Francisco. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> by that point, everyone wants it to be like 75. Mm-hmm. And then because you've had such a bad winter or you've just had like, it's also that sort of middling where you have sleet and you have, you know, crappy, damp weather. And then once suddenly it gets 92 and 88, no, 98% humidity. So Ugh. you had like a 55 degree day on Tuesday and then Wednesday is 95. So that weather slot machine, I call it the weather slot machine. You just <laughs> don't, you just like spin them, you know, you pull the, the arm or whatever the, whatever it is on the, the one armed bandit, but it's you never you just take a gamble living there as far as I mean it's obviously people have many other troubles besides bad weather but it's a beautiful city and there's so much there most of my oldest friends live in the area too still my parents are still there and I go back often because I do still teach at Northwestern um remotely though so I'm not there to I don't have to fly back and forth to teach classes so I'm it's I'm it's still very close to me and I'm still very fond of it you're still you're still a citizen of Chicago yeah, I mean, certainly yeah. I feel that way, but I definitely am not as involved as I was, of course, because I live out here now um, in yeah. the literary community there. I used to be a lot more, of course, you know, proximity was certainly helpful, but um, I used to co-curate a reading series, Sunday Salon Chicago. That was a bit of time ago, though, because I was also a visiting professor at University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and, and when I did that, in 2015 and 2016, I, that's when I stopped doing the the curation of that reading series. But um, two of my MFA students from Northwestern took over as the directors. So I'm still, you know, and I re I'm going to be reading at the end of October for them too. Oh, cool. You're going to, you're heading over there. Well, I'm doing a a zoom event for them though, but they're, you you know, are you touring any other, any other, uh, are you touring around? A little uh, bit. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to Chicago the 18th of October, which is the day Please Be Advised comes out. I'm going to be doing a reading there on the 19th and then a couple of other events, one for the anthology in Evanston at the bookstore at Bookends and Beginnings on the 22nd. And then I go to New York. I'm going to read at KGB Bar with some other friends and my editor, Kurt Baumeister. Oh, seven- cool. Yeah. Yeah. You That's know right. Me. You're with 713 Books. I, how's how's yeah. that experience been? It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've really... Because you, you've you you have the gamut of big publishing and indie, <laughs> so uh, yeah. And Leland, the publisher of Seven Thirteen, and also a novelist, like we know, like Curtis, has been really great to work with too. So that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I was glad they put Beth Lissick's book out. Like when they put the, when they put uh, Edie on the green screen out, then I was like, oh. Wait, this is Leland. I know Leland. They're doing what? That's so cool. I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, I haven't looked at their catalog very much. They yeah. Oh, you gotta read Beth Lissick's book if because because we're both kind of around the same age. But it but her book means a lot to me because it's about growing up on the peninsula in San Francisco and being cool. And then at what point (laughs) are you no longer cool? Kind of thing. And it's it's, I have to read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just said she's a terrific reader too in person. But she yeah readings so. well she's i mean she has so much experience she's been doing the porch light storytelling reading uh series for like decades so um yeah is that up in san francisco san francisco and uh new york i think because she was living in new york until covid and then they moved up to uh upstate during covid oh okay so yeah. now she's on that coast yeah 
Okay. Uh, does everyone end up there? Oh, oh, oh! The other, the other question I was going to ask you about touring. Do you have you done like a ton of cities on any of your books and found it like useful? Was that what's the most that you've ever toured on a book? You know, I I think it was probably Little Known Facts, my second book, because I that book was when it was published in 2013. It was with Bloomsbury. It was their lead title for adult mm. fiction for that part of the year it was winter of 2013 and they I, I went to Denver then I was at the LA Times Book Festival I did some events in Chicago I did an event I can't remember if I I did some in Milwaukee I mean it wasn't like a huge tour it was just maybe five or six cities but that yeah. was probably the most that I traveled shortly after a book came out um within the first few months but yeah. it wasn't like the immediate thing where if you have like a 20 city tour, they don't, most publishers don't do that anymore either, as you probably know, because they've found out that it doesn't usually sell that many books because it's expensive too to put people up and fly them places and pay their meals. And I didn't have that. I mean, they paid for my hotel and I think they paid for my airfare for a couple of the trips, but. Um, I mean, cause yeah. I asked personally, cause I know when my next novel comes out, I'm going to put my own money into going to different cities and different, like, I think um, if you have people to stay with and like your yeah. friends, with people, you know, like your friends, I know with Eric Stoltz, like if he were to do an event with you, you mm -hmm. would sell books. Right. You know, like, and right. you could get a bookstore in New York. Cause that was one of the things like my publicist and I both tried to get an, a bookstore event in New York and no one was interested. Oh, interesting. Bother to reply. Yeah. yeah. So huh. and, and I heard from other people who are authors who live in New York and they have had similar problems. I there are, I mean, if you're a famous writer, then you're going to be able to get an event. But, you know, even someone like me who's been pretty widely reviewed for my other books in The New York Times, no less. The, these two new books with small presses, it's I it just I have had more difficulty in some cases trying to get an event lined up. And I think COVID also just made it even harder because yeah. a lot of bookstores just realized people didn't want to come because they were understandably concerned about contracting COVID. So they just were losing money. And some bookstores are now charging $250 plus to authors to host them for an event. No way. I'm not kidding. It's I think it's becoming somewhat common. I don't like that at all because the author <laughs> is actually bringing a crowd of people into the store who's actually who, who are going to shop around. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm not excited about it either. I do think from what I've heard from the booksellers that I know, <clears throat> the ones that I have relationships with in Chicago, they have said point blank, like it probably costs us around $200 to do an event because if we order the books and they don't sell, we well, A, we have to pay for shipping. We also have to make sure we have enough personnel. Sometimes we have to keep the store open later. We also have to put manpower or woman power or person power into you know, publicizing the event. And then also when there is an event, foot traffic in the store slows down. So, and then if the books don't sell, they have to ship them back at their own expense. Hmm. I mean, I think, you know, some cases, if you have a relationship with the author, then you don't charge, they don't charge those people. Wow. But, you know, they, there are bookstores in LA who have like authors clubs now where if you subscribe for $300, you're guaranteed an event. Really? Yes. 
And I just am kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to sell that many books. Like it's yeah. maybe anyway, I get lucky, but you know yeah. what? If I have to spend 250 or $300 plus I'm bringing refreshments. Right. And then I'm spending many, many hours properly publicizing, sending emails, posting. I mean, yeah. it's, you can do stuff fairly quickly, but initially like trying to, I, the couple of emails that I've sent out for events to different groups of friends in different places, it's taken me hours and hours. And I've also sent hard copies of some of my advanced reader copies to independent bookstores and laboriously handwritten notes. And I've also written postcards with notes and jokes and stuff that I had made of please be advised. And I also had book smart book. Were there any racist so, jokes in there? Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> but I also did had, you, did um, you, did you cross the line on some of those jokes and maybe so that's what happened? <laughs> no, but some of them are somewhat racy. Like the book is, you might've seen in the memos. Some of them are a little R rated. Oh yeah. 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 But I also like, I, you know, I've had bookmarks made for the anthology. I've sent them out with the, advanced readers copies it's just you could literally spend an entire year in advance researching ways to sell your book and then doing things to try to get the word out and that's even with bigger press authors too like when i my other books when they came out with bloomsbury i did a huge amount of work too to try to just do you know blog posts and essays and it you're you're basically taking on a second job if you're going to publish yeah. Why the hell do we do this? It is such a good question. <laughs> I think it's just the like st stupidly hopeful gene that we all like, not all yeah. of us, but most of us have like the same thing that compels us to a get married when we know that the odds of divorce are, are quite big. There's pretty long, not long, there's short odds for divorce. Right. Um, but you know, I'm not, you know, I, we all fall in love or we, if we're lucky and we sometimes do want to get married. So, we do. And some of those marriages work out, but also like what compels us to buy lottery tickets. We just think like, maybe it'll work out. Like yeah. maybe somehow my star will rise and I will make decent money and people will love me everywhere. That's yeah. really, I think at the base for a lot of people like me too. I, I, if I look closely at my motivations, aside from trying to figure out like what I think about the world, that's like one main reason why I'm a writer. But the other yeah. part of it is too, I'm like, I want to be part of the community. I want to be at the table. I want to be with other people. I want to be with other writers. I want to be just present and, and acknowledged, you know, so. In the conversation. Yes. Cause I, cause I, that's, <clears throat> that's what I'm realizing. You know, I've realized this over the years. I'm like, Oh, my insatiable urge um, to uh, with like reading and just, uh, you know, cause I, 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 I try to read at least 50 pages a day of something that I don't have to read like dead author or something. Right. <clears throat> and then, um, and then I'm writing every day and it's just like, so I'm doing that conversation. And then I kind of want to be in the conversation of being at a bookstore uh, where other books are and they're kind of talking to each other, you know, and yes. I'm like, Hey, yeah. Kurt Vonnegut, I'm way over here. And I only have one book on the <laughs> shelf and he's just rolling you are pretty over far from the V's, but you know, <laughs> yeah. You could just move your book next to his. Yeah, I could. When it comes out. And you're in Jesus Jerk too. Yeah, yeah. I can just I can rub it right up next to Is it, Do you have a new book that you're I know you we talked about the one you're writing and I'm hoping you're getting close to finishing it. I'm really I'm getting close here. You want to see here's the current draft. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow, that is a book. <laughs> yeah. Um what's its title if you don't mind me? Dreamcasting. Asking? Dreamcasting. Okay. I love I yeah. love that. Yeah. 
So uh, I love that it's not about uh, it's not about me and the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's so like it's so wonderful to you know be totally dove into fiction, but at the same time, every character is me, but yet it's not. So there's you know, but I get to put my all my own frustrations into the characters, and I'm like, so people will read it and be like, these people are absurd. These people are just so selfish and egotistical, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I know, it's so hard to get into that. You know what I? It's, it's, <laughs> it fiction is really just it's not it's not i think all the time for you know if you're used to writing it it's not that hard but it is hard i mean it's not easy but i think if you if you're used to writing non-fiction writing fiction is very different you know like yeah i just i don't write a lot of non-fiction i often think about like oh i wish i could think of good ideas so i could write essays but i just have more of an aptitude for fiction I think and but I realized you know being a, a writing professor for quite a few years teaching undergraduates and graduates graduate students it is so hard to write good fiction because I, well I mean you can get better obviously with time I certainly think I've improved I hope so any over the years but you can't fake it like nonfiction, I think you can you can write like you have a conversation and we all are capable of having a conversation. So if you figure out how to write in a conversational style, you can probably write a good essay, but fiction is artifice. And if you can't make it real, it's so obvious, I think. At mm. least people who are, you know, reading literary fiction anyway, maybe not with with commercial or popular fiction and like Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know, I haven't read it, but I think it's probably different than the kind of writing that um, like Rachel Cusk is doing or Cormac McCarthy, you know, they're not writing that type. Of I thing. wish I could write 50 shades of gray. I'd be living in a very large house. <laughs> yes, you would. <laughs> I mean, that was such a fluke that that book became, yeah. those three books became huge. It was just, yeah. it was so I'm going to write 51 shades of gray, even like better it. and more improved. <laughs> <laughs> or 49. 49. Yeah. 69 shades of gray. Yeah, I don't, it's, it is, you're right, like the hassle and the, there is such joy in being a writer. And I know from having taught at writers conferences, I was actually in near Santa Cruz not long ago, I taught at Catamaran's summer writers conference in Pebble Beach. And a lot of the people who were there live in Santa Cruz or nearby. And they were the most lovely people. And and they're they're so nice to writers. And I, but I think like the rest of the world and they're writers too, but they're like nice to us faculty. And I'm like, the rest uh, of the world could care less. Like, you know, I mean, other than obviously people who are avid readers. But right. But that, 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 so that's the beauty. That, and that's the why. That's the why. Because we yeah. can go hang out with other lunatics that are just, you know, I see your books on your shelf. And I, you know, the books behind me are the Drinks with Tony books that I have scheduled. My My other room is just a vomit launch of books it's just like books and <laughs> records that's kind of all i have that is dear to me you know it is yes i know yeah i my in the preparation for this move my partner's like you have to get rid of those you know a lot of your books i'm like are you kidding like no i'd rather cut my arm off <laughs> not really but wait I mean, we could cut your is, arm off yeah 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 look look i'll get rid of some of my books yeah. and I we can lose <laughs> I, I mean there's some books clearly if I've read them and I'm probably not going to read them again, then I can donate them. But they're, they're really like your friends, you know, yeah. you, 
you they're comforting too in a way that a lot of things are not i purge a lot um but at the same time there is a core like three to 400 books that I can never get rid of because they're either signed or when I read them, it was important to me at the time. And I have my little notes in them. I still have um, Henry Miller's sexist that I brought to Paris in mm. the nineties. And it's just like, I'm never giving that up. Yeah. You know, it's that, that, that traveled with me on Eurorail in the nineties, you know, it's, I sat at the Louvre and thought I was a great writer and a poet. And I'm like, Oh, I'm such a great poet, you know, <laughs> They will recognize me any minute. And then it took another 14 years. You were, I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping maybe say you were waiting for Julie Delpy to come those movies out um, before sunrise and um, before sunset. And yeah, yeah. those are my three of my favorite, well, especially the first two. I love them so much, but yeah, yeah, that idea of having, you know, you're having this adventure in Europe, you're a young writer, you're artistic, you're reading Henry Miller. Yeah waiting for a nubile young woman to come by. I see. I want that in my life now. I, it's, I need to do the, uh, the before sunrise, but the middle-aged version <laughs> where it's just like, you know, 50 plus dudes sitting on a train finds a young 49 year old. They look in each other's <laughs> eyes. They could tell they both been through it. <laughs> it wears on their face. Like 29, 49. But, that's to your credit. Yeah. 40. Oh yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I don't want to talk. Look, we got to talk after, <laughs> you know, I yeah. love, I love, I love, I love people in their twenties, but I don't, there's this, yet you can't get that far in intimacy with that much of a gap because they'll just, the they'll have emoji tattoos on their knuckles. <laughs> yeah. There is that possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it seriously. No, I, I, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. Intimacy is the whole thing. It can't just be the, you know, the, uh, sex part of it. And that, you know, even though unfortunately as dudes, we sit there and go, look at that, look at that, look at that, because it's like in us, it's just, it's, and it sucks. It's not a good thing. It's terrible. I hate it, but I still have that. Wow. 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 And I'm like, you know, it's good that you still notice beauty. I think in pe women and obviously in the world too. But I know yeah. you. I think as long as you're not with, you're not on a blind date with someone, and then you're like eyeballing the 25 year old with the low cut top. Right, right. Table, you can. I I think. Well, I mean, I get it. Like, if there's someone attractive, you're gonna notice them. You just have to right. be discreet if you're with someone else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly be discreet yeah what did my therapist say she's like you know tony maybe you don't have to um front load all your uh issues on your on your first date <laughs> like, i get it you want to be authentic i want to let them know what's <laughs> yeah you want to parse them and parcel them right. i think um that's that's a good tactic yeah i'm smart <laughs> yeah i just um i find like also i moved out here when I was in my mid forties, mid to late, I was 46. And I was like, what am I doing moving to LA? Like right when I'm getting older, when it's such a surface town, but I found that that's not like there are, I mean, certainly there are aspects of that, I, but I don't commingle with a lot of industry people. Mm -hmm. um, and also just, I was really happy to see that, you know, Pasadena and a lot of places, people are just going about their lives. You know, there's not, yeah. there's not this, 
unless you're a famous person and you're worried about paparazzi, people are just the same as they were in Chicago. I mean, you're just trying to get your groceries and trying to get to work on time. And I mean, it was, it was good. You know, I was happy to discover that I didn't have to worry about like dressing up every time I left. I mean, that's a really superficial thing, but I, I felt that pressure to, I wanted to fit in, but no one cares really. I mean, obviously yeah. if you're applying for, if you're trying out for a film, yes, but. That's the beauty that I, I think that's the beauty of Los Angeles and people thinking that it's all surface. And I just, and you just smile and go, yeah, you can go ahead and go keep thinking that because it's not, you just, you find, no. you find the good people. It's so funny. Cause I live, I literally live, live down the street from Jack Black. I mean, he's kind of more up the Hills, but oh, that's cool. So I'm, I was, but I didn't know that. And I was just like kind of walking down the street one day and there was this guy with this great like shirt of a lion on him. And I was like, <laughs> And I, as I was crossing the street, I'm like, oh, my God, nice shirt, dude. And I didn't even look at his face. And he said, thanks, man. I looked up and I was like, oh, that's Jack Black. OK, I get it. And then now I kind of now that I now that I know that he's in that he's around my neighborhood. Now I kind of just like see him walking all the time. But it's just like there's no paparazzi and there's nothing in this yeah. part of town. But if he goes to Equinox in Beverly Hills, they're going to be yeah. like, you know, snapping shots all over the place. So. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why he likes living in your neighborhood where you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's like, I've seen Andy McDowell at like the grocery store and I'm just sitting there and I, I heard her first. I'm going, really? She wow. Sounds, yeah. Familiar. Yeah. You're right by the big Scientology headquarters too, right? You're still in that part of town. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still, I doubt I'm they're still members, on... but right. <laughs> no, but crazy I... stuff that goes on around there. <laughs> no, there's that. And that's kind of very contained to the blocks uh that are south of sunset so once you get into los Feliz, there's the, the scientology vibe goes away pretty quick like at lupiat kitchen we don't feel scientology vibe when we're having our breakfast how far is that from you 10 minutes in the car um uh may in the car maybe i see i don't know because i don't have parking so i usually have to huff it to some parking spot somewhere that i parked oh. in you know three days ago um and and i would walk there but you have to walk like there's like just so many homeless encampments what that you got to walk through and we do got crazy schizophrenic people who like throw bricks through windows you know but it's, i live in this very middle area where it's just like you get messed with and then all of a sudden you don't mm -hmm. <laughs> just like, yeah i your neighborhood is interesting it's very it's very cool and there's a lot you can do with in walking distance i'm guessing from your apartment but you're right like the vibe is a little intense yeah it's like it, it, and i really i gotta start bicycling again so i can just like get through the get through those couple of rough blocks and then just be like ah and, you know go <laughs> go, go get the, the mar well actually the, the block i'm on is totally getting uh fancified and it's like nobody from my, my neighborhood can go to these new restaurants and stuff everyone's coming down to get dirty and then they're like, oh, yeah, well, they have valet parking. So we get right out front. And then it's just like, it's <laughs> it's such a, um, I just remember this being in San Francisco in the Mission District. And it's like, why would a restaurant work there on Valencia Street? And then it's like, the only restaurants that work there in th this day is on Valencia Street. It's, mm -hmm. <laughs> everything's pushed. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm hip. I should have bought. I should have bought the minute I came to LA. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what everyone's saying now. I just... It's, but apparently the Wall Street Journal is predicting that there's going to be a huge 
bubble burst again. The bubble yeah. burst with the real estate market. Yeah. I mean, in LA, it's just incredibly ridiculous. Like we're moving into this apartment, which the one next door to it, which is also, it's just a two bed, two bath. It's like a thousand square feet. The one next door just sold for like $840,000. Wow. I mean, this yep. is like the most, it's a mid-century building. It's now a historic building. So maybe that's why they are charging so much. But I'm like, this is not, I mean, it's just crazy to me that someone would pay almost a million dollars for a thousand square feet apartment. Right. I, I mean, I, I, anyway, I anything in LA that, apparently is more or less habitable is a million dollars now. So, and I, and I, I'm just kind of like, I don't, I'm going to be renting into the indefinite future because I refuse to pay that much for something that small that also will probably need work. And I don't, I can't afford it anyway, but if I could, I just, something rebels. Right. Even though renting is also, you're just throwing money. You're not going to get it back. And we, pay a shitload for our rent too so yeah. there's not a really a win-win here are you going to no, pay less at your new place pardon do you pay less at your new place no, or is we it pay more? 50 dollars more a month but it's oh, a much better location yeah and also like we're renting below what they're charging for people who are moving into this building right now that one that we live in so I, i'm like they're just going to raise the rent like 300 dollars if we stay yeah, I'm in rent control, so I just got the, I got a nice golden handcuff. Um, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. The, the other parts, it's like, the other apartments in my building go for fifty uh, percent higher, for my exact same thing now. <laughs> so I'm just going, and they can't raise it. Or how much they higher? Two fifty. No, no. Um, so that five hundred dollars more than uh what I pay. Oh my god! So for, for me to up, for me to up my game, I'd have to up myself to myself at five hundred dollars more. <laughs> no, it's I just don't. I mean, in Pasadena, doesn't have rent control. We just voted. We did our mail-in ballots yesterday, in fact, and mm. we voted in favor of rent control because they can raise it ten percent every year, essentially. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's a lot. Like yeah. spread out over the year. If yeah. you're spending like three thousand or four thousand a year or a month, right? Which a lot of these apartments in in Pasadena are going for around thirty five to forty five hundred for a two bedroom. Yeah, I mean that's that's I, I I'm just like who's renting these? Like, I know I I would <laughs> I I would definitely it? I would be in a roommate situation. Why well, would you know I was really broke here for a while, like right around 2015 and 2016. So I did have a roommate here. <laughs> It was like, you have a one bedroom right now? No, right? it's a studio. It's a bit. Oh it's kind, God, it, it's, it's a decent oh. sized studio, but it was just like two dudes on uh, top of each other. Um, yeah, snoring, <laughs> having exactly. a phone, whispered phone conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's be. when it's nice to live close. Well, you know, pre-pandemic, it's like I live close to Los Feliz Three in the Vista. I can go get those matinees, get out, you know. And, yeah, so. go to the skylights or have a coffee. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't have a roommate when COVID hit. That would have just, oh. uh, and you, and then you can't get rid of them. <laughs> You're like going, no, please, For two years no. or however long. Yeah. yeah. There's people that were in that situation. You can't, you know, the tenant laws, you can't, it's the, someone and married want to couples. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I want a divorce. That was coming out a lot. Like I remember, especially like, I think some of the, I don't know if it was in China or Japan, but there were occasionally articles about like Chinese women realize they don't want to be married to their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> they just realize what jerks they are. Yeah. Was, <laughs> I'm sure it went both ways, but 
nonetheless, I thought, yeah, I mean, you kind of realize like how much work it is to be with someone all the time. Yeah. 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 No, it's uh, the relationships are our work, but it's good work. Those it's work for the good until it's not. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's true. It's up. We it's the ebbs and flows, right? We got the ebbs and flows of life, ebbs and flows of relationships. That's yeah, how I always yeah. looked at it. And the healthy ones, and in, in the healthy relationships, it's like, hey, we're gonna have bad days, but let's cheer, let's cheerlead each other through those bad days. Yeah, know? I think that's so important. And I, I am always thinking about, and I say this to friends and students too. Just like you really have to take the long view for anything that's important. It's just you know, becoming a better writer or being in a relationship or figuring out like you want to master some new skill or Adam just started grad school last week. He's going to Antioch for clinical psychology masters. And he's like, this is so much work. And then he took out an extra job. And he's like, what, why why is this all happening at once? And I said, you, it's, you have to take the long view. And also this is not a permanent situation. You're not going to be spinning seven plates at the same time but i think like our culture just really is so much i mean obviously social media is part of this it's like everyone wants instant likes they want instant skills they want life hacks right and the attention span is going down and down and down but i think i think it's going to reverse because people don't realize that law attention span is like good you know and when you when you really sink your teeth into something when you read when you read a solid book it's so much better for the soul than TikToking for mm-hmm. you know hours and hours on that it's funny um sasha who played gabe and jesus jerk he's going for his uh, master's degree in psychology at uh antioch too he just started oh really yeah he's not a, there's one other male student who just started with adam and he lives in bellingham sasha doesn't oh okay him. so no it's not him, not him. Okay. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe- sasha's still in la so Okay. Must and he's be. still he's still getting a lot of work. It was so hilarious because the minute he told me, he's like, you know what? I've had it. I've had it with acting. I'm just going to go get my master's in psychology. And I laughed because I've heard this before from him. And I'm like, you're, you're, all the work's going to start coming in now. And of course, he's working all the time now and getting his master's. <laughs> Every time he says, I'm done with this, I just smile and go, here it comes. Here comes all the big ones. <laughs> uh <laughs> Well, it often, I mean, that's the same thing. Adam's like offered more work. He's like, okay, I'll take it. And then he got into grad school and then he got mm-hmm. another job on top of the extension at his, or the extra work at the one he already had. And yeah. yeah, same with Sasha. It's just, it's like looking, you know, it's, they say people too often meet the right person when they're about to move cities. Oh, really? And then they have to do long distance relationships. Or, oh, you know, yeah, the, yeah. You know, they're like, damn, I'm moving in two months. This is all right. I did that, but that, but it was the wrong person. So I turned out all right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that that has a way of sorting itself out. Yeah. Too. Um, yeah. Um, but the, but my therapist says, Tony, you're getting better at it because the last person I went out with, it was three months. And I'm like, and the answer is no, <laughs> this is not working out. <laughs> and I'm, I'm being more assertive and realizing it and not not doing that thing where I go, oh, that's just be I, I used to do the. um oh, that's just happening because of blank. And that's just happening because of blank. And it's just like, no, no, be assertive. Actually, that's happening. Doesn't work for me. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, oops, I just muted myself accidentally. 
things have just been <laughs> you're bleeping yourself out you were you were, were you saying real names <laughs> no i it's funny i just i find that the last two years too have just been so strange you know for on so many levels we've I mean, I was already working from home mostly because I was teaching remotely for the two different schools that I usually teach for. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't that much of a difference, but just hearing and, you know, noticing other people's, you know, the way their lives changed or the country itself too has just become very unusual. And your eggs are done. <laughs> no, you know, my computer has texts that come in and I don't know how to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or, or or is that your biological clock? <laughs> <laughs> I think that clock is, yeah. I At my age now, it's, it's still sending occasional notes, but not. It's sending memos. <laughs> yeah, it is sending memos occasionally, but not about having children. It's like, just keep exercising. If you want to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just try to get enough sleep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and don't have, you know, I don't know about you, but I, one thing that is that I listen to some adult, some nutrition exercise. There's this podcast called mind, body green, and they're, everyone's always talking about anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's just, I, I thought about this, like in 2009, when I got my first book contract, I don't think I was as anxious. I think the anxiety came with being a writer. Oh, interesting. Like, and like trying to continue writing and publishing and like finding readers and, promoting and then worrying about like how you know you have to interact socially you don't want to offend people you know you're in public more oh i want to offend some people <laughs> well people you actually like maybe you don't want right to. right exactly. but yeah i just um i just felt like the responsibility of trying to you know promote other writers too and be in the literary community it's it's just as dysfunctional as any other community yeah. yeah 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 and it's and it's kind of fun too it's like i mean i was like sometimes i'll walk into skylight and i'll see a like a book and i'll be like oh, i hate that guy <laughs> just like <laughs> oh wait and he's doing an event here i okay note uh, to self don't walk by during that time you, you know, know this yeah i think this part is like it's it's like being an academic too you just you have to try to just get along, but privately you're kind of just like, ah, oh, why does that person, they're just so unpleasant and everyone who reads them and doesn't know that I know them. And then they're like, Oh, that book was so good. And I love that. Person. Yeah. You know, and I think, <laughs> and I'm sure the same people that I'm going Ugh, are the same people that are going to be doing the same thing to me when my, my next book comes out and they'll be like, Oh God, just like, they'll probably turn it around cover <laughs> that guy. But you it's know, good. We should have people that say that about us. We should. That means that we're yeah. got, that we're getting the passion out there. Someone's passionate about. I try to, um, you know, if I feel like a stab of envy or anything, I just try to think, you know, aside like, okay, I'm acknowledging that I feel that way, and maybe I'll feel bad for a little while, but then at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try to be the next thing I write. I want it to be better. Yeah, I want to, you know, I kind of want to be, I try to claim ownership of, in some way of like, oh, their success should inspire me rather than just piss me off or make me feel bad about well, myself. Well, you're better than me, but there's some people I'm like, ugh, 
God. No, there, I mean, I'm not better than you at all. I just, I just have had like in Chicago, especially, you know, also being an academic and most of the writers that I know also teach. And then you have to interact at work as well as at book events. And you just have to try to get along. But like, yeah. like, you know, occasionally these people are, you know, that they're just cock blocking you. Yeah. I don't think I can say that word on the radio. <laughs> you just did. So there you I, go. Know. <laughs> I know. No, I think, I mean, we can't, we just have to try to manage our unhappiness as best we can. Well, and for me, and this is what I, this is what I learned from doing the film Jesus jerk is it's not about the outcome. It's about the process. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn because getting the film out kind of meant nothing. I mean, it was beautiful and very yeah. happy that other people got to connect with it. But the most important part of it was the process of writing it, being on set, being around that. That was that meant more to me than actually getting the DVD and Blu-ray sent to me, which is still in shrink wrap. You know, it's just like I haven't even opened them up yet. But it's just like because that's not that's not it. That's not why the why was the work, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, I mean. Also, you're probably just thinking like, well, what am I, you're, what am I writing now? Like, I only ever feel good if I'm working on something that I'm at least enjoying writing because I'm not looking back. None of my other books were like commercial successes. They were critically successful, but they did not make me any money other than the advance. So I'm, I just have to focus on what I can control. And that is how often and how well that I write. Because like my, the anthology, we were talking before, you know, we started this conversation officially. Um, I, it came out last Tuesday, Love in the Time of Time's Up, which has 16 women writers writing about the themes of Me Too and Time's Up. And the stories are very diverse. There's just, some of them are dark and, you know, that's to be expected, but some, there's a couple that are very witty and one is just so funny. It's by Elizabeth Crane. And it's called Dudes in Theory. I think I mentioned, maybe I mentioned it too. And yeah, then, yeah, I like her. I, yeah. I, 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 she's always been a great vibe. Yeah, I, I've talked she's to her, so yeah. like just a generous person. And then oh. her memoir, um, The Story Will Change, just came out from Counterpoint last, like a month and a half ago, I think. Oh, yeah. Maybe two months ago now. Maybe it was August 8th. I can't remember the date, right. but it's, right. it's, she was, yeah. She, I was meant to go to her event, but I couldn't make it that night. She did an event at Stories in uh, Los Feliz. Mm -hmm. Oh, Echo Park, actually. And, um, but, you know, no, it was like an, it just any other day, you know, and you, you put the book together and you hope it'll get attention and bookstores will carry it. But most of the time that does not happen. Like it just in the publisher, Tortoise Books has a distributor. They use Publishers Group West. So ostensibly the book could be in bookstores, but I just don't think it is. And it's such a good book. Like, I love these stories. And I've read thousands and thousands of short stories. And these are just some of the best ones I've read. And it's not just because I put them in the anthology. I just asked a number of writers who had written short fiction and published it, who I liked their work. And they agreed to send a story. And, and then I just fortunately really was nuts about the work they sent. So, you know, but like, Maybe it'll take off. Maybe colleges, some writing professors or literature yeah. professors or sociology instructors. Will. That's the beauty of it. You never know. And right. that's, it's like, it's out there and you never know. And there's just, there's, you never know who's going to get their hands on it. 
Like even when, you know, even when I found out before the film got to Eric, it was with another producer uh, who produced uh, Half Nelson and um, Blue Valentine. And I was just like, oh, my God, he's reading my book right now. And yeah, and then I got to work with him for a year. And it's just like, you just never know. And how fun is it to just be part of that conversation and be around it, you know? Right. I'm really glad the book exists. But, you know, I I say that about each of my books. And Mm -hmm. you know what it's like. Like, it's good, but you do want people to read them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I just wanted to write, I would just write and not bother publishing. So I, I do want to write, but I also want to publish books that get read. Right. So, I mean, I think most writers do. I mean, certainly it's not, under, it's understandable why we would. And, but, you know, I mean, I remember one of my family members telling me when I got out of grad school, well, you know, this, no one asked you to write. So just if nothing happens, oh, well, I mean, that wasn't exactly what he said, but it was close to that. And I thought, I'm going to show you. <laughs> You know, and and it because any like anytime someone is like, oh well, you'll probably fail. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I won't. Like, I'm not going to. So, you know, I, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? Well, you know, I in a one way I didn't fail because I have books that have been published that have been reviewed and did pretty well critically, but didn't make a lot of money. So in that sense, yes, you could say, well, you didn't manage to buy a house because you your books were successful or something like that but I thought well I got better as a writer you know and I'm still finding publishers for my work and um you know you just as long as you have I have other things I'm working on so I just keep plugging away and it does get tiring I mean at a certain point you're kind of like well (laughs) I I don't know if I want to work seven days a week because as a writer and a teacher you pretty much have to if you're really trying to continue to publish and be an author and in in the in the off hours when you're not looking at student work or planning lessons you that's when you do your writing but you also have to live the rest of your life so you know it it's demanding I think any writer who doesn't have a tenure track job but also those who do like you you just have to balance the private work with all the other work that you do for paying for money. I mean, I don't, most writers don't make enough from their work, as you know, to pay the bills. So they have to do other jobs. It's hard. I mean, and our country's not very supportive of artists. We do have the in NEA and we have Guggenheims, but a tiny, tiny percentage of people get those. And they're not something that you can live off of for long. And the wrong people get them. <laughs> i'm sure there's a few people who deserve <laughs> christine thank you so much for coming on the show thank you tony for having me and making me laugh christine sneed on drinks with tony check out her new book please be advised a novel in memos next week on the show we have kid congo powers he'll be talking about his new memoir some kind of kick thanks for listening you're listening to 101.9 fm KPCRLP Santa Cruz.